Momo and Redmond are the thong slappers. They're two blokes making lots of noise but getting nowhere fast. G'day folks, it's Simo here again and welcome to episode three of the Thong Slappers podcast. Once again, I'm joined by the red-headed Redman. How are you, mate? Hi, buddy. How are you going? It's hotter than the Cloncurry lizard today. Yep, it's that way down here too, but it is summer, so I guess that's just what you have to expect. Isn't it? I love that it's a sunshine state. There was a cane toad in my shoe yesterday morning. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, I freaking hate those things. What is the go with those? I can remember as a young, you know, a young fellow, you go up to the golf club and give them a wallop and stuff and sort of see them. They'd look pretty dead and all their insides would be out. The next day you'd come back and they'd be gone. Like, what's the go with that? I'll tell you what the go with a cane toad is I'm 13 years deep in enemy territory. I'm from New South Wales. So cane toads and cockroaches for me don't get talked about. The last 13 years have been terrible (laughs) in the football. (laughs) Funnily enough, we've got sidetracked within a minute of starting this episode. And what we're actually doing with episode three is continuing on from episode two, where we're having a good old chat about 986. It's funny, you know, with 986, you're sending me photos of milk arrowroot biscuits, which of course <laughs> a massive thing. And with milk arrowroots, do you remember there was an ad on TV and this actual commercial was released in 986? It was the one where the kid has, you know, it's like, I don't know, they're like playing in the backyard and the mum comes out with a thing of biscuits and this kid goes, can I have one with butter, please? The thing is, do you remember that ad? I do remember that, Yes. Yeah, and this kid was going, oh, can I have with <laughs> The thing is, he's already got the thing. He's got his hands on it. He's got his grubby mitts all over the biscuit to start with. But the thing's halfway in his mouth anyway. He's like, <laughs> as if he's already eating it. Like, do you remember that? What? Go on YouTube that ad. He's like, can I have one with butter, please? But the thing's halfway down his throat when he's about to eat it. Well, what, you yeah, might as well freaking have it now. It's just you're already eating it. You've already touched it. What year was like, it? Like, 86. Yeah, look, then by that, in 1986, kids were just smoking cigarettes anyway. No do-gooders were having from milk arrowheads. Oh, it's, yeah, I, I fully understand that. And I was probably one of those kids. No, but it was more the thing that he's asking if he can have one with butter, but he's already eaten the freaking thing. Thing, like, the thing with biscuits. With I do like a milk arrowhead, but I just love scotch finger because a scotch finger just sounds so dirty <laughs> is it just me or do, am i the only no. person that ever giggles when i see it goes scotch finger Mate, yeah no i can i can see where you're coming from i thought you were about to tell me a story about because you love like dunking them in your cup of tea or something like that but i just fully yeah just blindsided me yet again as you do which is kind of why we do this in the first place. you've got to say it slowly you've got to put the emphasis on a scotch finger it's funny, uh, I have these, like, I go through these phases of obsession. Like, I love chocolate and stuff. And, man, you know those Pascal clinkers, the ones that are, like, green, pink, and uh, orange? Oh, no, green, pink, and yellow. Do you remember those? Yeah, and you got to guess what colour it is before you bite it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you're anything like my sister when we were kids, she'd only go, oh, shit, it's the pink. I hate pink. She'd just chuck a half-eaten one back in the packet. But <laughs> they've, actually, they've actually changed now. They're not made by Pascals. They're made by Cadbury. And they taste different. I think because they've actually, the, the chocolate must be the Cadbury chocolate. They just lost that love. But, mate, back in the day, and when I say the day, I'm talking like last year, I was a pack-a-day habit of those things. And TV snacks, those TV snacks, pack-a-day habit. Like, I could sit down and watch TV and just eat a pack of those things in one sitting, no problem. So that's sort of something that I've tried to curb. But, so um, nice and TV snacks. They are oh, beautiful. Yeah, they are. They are. And... On that, like with tea, I've never been a tea or coffee drinker. Like, hate coffee, never got into tea. But in recent times, probably only the last couple of years, I've really got into drinking tea. And it's only just trying to stop me drinking Coke. That's another obsession is just drinking far too much Coke. 
And um, that the tea, I've kind of like, I've got into that. You know, it's almost like I'm preparing for retirement by dumping <laughs> scotch finger biscuits into tea. So, yeah, I kind of thought that's what made me think you were going there. Um, what about a box of assorted creams? Oh, <laughs> hang on. Are you talking about the biscuits? Or are you trying to talk about something I'm else? just thinking of dirty names. I just got dirty to be careful name, now, Dirty name is the sweets. No, it's not dirty. You can actually go and buy a box of assorted creams. Just going down to get some arnets or something. Yeah. yeah. That's probably more your kettle of fish, not something I'd get into. I'm not really sort of. Hey, um, at the end of episode two, we were talking about 986, of course, which we're still talking about this episode. So we're just, you know, sort of getting bang for your buck with these episodes, people. Um, but we we're talking about you, you finished us off about the Gary Walker Twin Turbo Jag B12 Challenge. Remember we were having a chat about that? Yeah, that's it's interesting because I was going back through the magazine, so I thought Gary Walker obviously had – I read the article. This is the gist of the article. It's a twin turbo Jaguar V12, 1,000 horsepower, he's saying. And I think Phil Scott turned up to write the article up, and in the article it says when he turned up to the address, there was a Learjet parked in this guy's driveway of his house with the Jag. So Yeah, okay. I started – I read the article. I started doing what I do. Street Machine Research started texting you saying, what are you news? So hold on, we'll, we'll do it on the podcast. We'll keep the content for the podcast. So I've been waiting all week for you to tell me what happened. <laughs> why, won't, why won't you tell me, please? Okay. Now, look, this was the go. Just, I, I guess yeah. to put a bit of a back, let's just do a bit of a backstory. Look, Gary Walker obviously has some coins. Is that Jag that he built was actually, I guess it was like an XJS12 or they're like a swoopy two-door thing. And this thing had big flares. Funnily enough, we're talking about flares, so he hadn't tubbed it. Huge set of Simmons wheels, and it was like a pretty tough-looking car, this Jag. And it had a V12 with twin turbos, and his challenge was he challenged any street machine to do a number of different, like I guess, different tests. So one, there'd be like a drag strip thing. There'd be a bit of circuit racing. There'd also be part of this was you had to drive through normal everyday traffic, you know, like peak hour traffic. The thing had to be reliable and not boil and carry on. And um. I guess kind of similar to what Drag Challenge and Hot Rod uh, Drag Challenge are like the, these the days. Notes say, hot Rod Week. The notes say he wants to do an idle test. This is an amazing a pink slip test, which is a roadworthy. Yeah. And a yep. speed test. Yeah, exactly. And a part of part of doing that, he sort of threw down the challenge to anyone who was willing to take him on. And I remember, and you'll probably remember this car too, Barry Burt from Hume Performance Definitely. built this HJ Monaro like a coupe, like two-door course. It might have been HQ with HJ front, I don't know, but let's just call it an HJ for ease of recognition. It was white with green and yellow stripes. Remember that car? The Hume Performance colours. It had Definitely. a blown 454 in it, and he built this car specifically to take on Gary Walker in this drag challenge. And I think when it came to the crunch, a couple other guys came on board too um, with V8-powered Cortinas like TCTD era and also V8 Capris. Uh, I think they were considered to sort of be more the contenders mainly for the, the legitimacy of their pink slip side of things, especially too as, as Barry's Monaro was tubbed and it had the humongous blower hanging out the bonnet. But I think when, when it actually came down to the crunch, or not that I think, this is actually what happened. Um, Gary Walker was a no-show. He never turned up. So the, the, he laid down the challenge but never actually turned up. It would be interesting to see what actually happened to his Jag since and also what happened to him, like whether he's into cars. Like he's obviously an intelligent guy and he knew how to build a cool car. Like that Jag was a, a good bit of gear. But it would be interesting to see what happened there. But I think after that sort of in time following Performance Street Car Manage, uh, Magazine, they actually picked up on this and they ended up doing a challenge just between 
those those other cars like Barry Burt's car and the, the V8 Cortinas and, and Capris. So it ended up being a big thing. But it's sort of it's funny you mentioned that Learjet. I can actually picture um, the magazine picture or photo where it had the Jag parked next to it as yeah, well. We'll so, blast that. I'll get you the blast it to him. We'll blast it up on Facebook. Human performance. I used to do my apprenticeship not far from where he was. So everybody at the time yeah. was 90. One had a human performance sticker on the front of the car. It was like an Oakley factory pilot sticker of the day, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, got, I got mine. I got a Stanley knife, and I changed it to Emu Performance. <laughs> Just changed the letters around. <laughs> I remember. I'm not surprised. Did you have a crane cam sticker on your rotary? I, well? I did, and I had a Gemini. But I remember a copper pulling me up in Liverpool going off his nut. It was about two in the morning. My Gemini with the human sticker, Emu. This fucking car is there with this. Fucking EBU performance. If I get one more complaint, I'm setting fire to it. <laughs> hey, was that your first car? I can picture the Gemini. It was a white one, wasn't it? Yeah. You should grab a photo. Was that, was that your first ever car? No, not my first ever car, no. Oh, okay. What was your first ever car? An Escort, a 1982-door Escort before the RS2000. I actually bought a two-litre four-speed with little hot wires on it. It was a yeah, okay. car and I binned it. So uh, it just sat oh, inside right. car. But then I bought the RS2000 and used the side panel of it, put into that RS2000 and got it up and running, and it was, it was pretty cool. But used to drive like a bit of a terror down at uh, Liverpool. Yeah. Yep. The, co- the copper, he's probably going to set fire to it. <laughs> <laughs> These days, God, if a copper did that, you imagine if a copper said that to someone, first of all, they'd be videoing it on their phone. Right, they'd be videoing the police officer, and then the police officer would put it all over Facebook and all over Instagram. And it didn't matter if this person had been driving like a moron, endangering people's lives, or something like that. The, the copper would just get absolutely toasted. What on social media? What he was to show cause and doing all that. What he was saying to me, without too many words, and what the absolute truth was, is he was saying, "I'm going to punch you in the head." I was quite, you know, I've got a bit of a smart mouth on me sometimes, especially back then. I shut the fuck up because any kind of play in this conversation was going to get me a punch in the face. So I just, yeah, sorry. Yep. Yeah. Hey, the fucking thing, the fucking thing. I've got a couple of good stories about that, Gemini, but we'll, we'll, we'll do them when we, uh, when we have a bit more time. Well, I was actually like, my first car was a mini, like a Cooper S replica, like a 65 model. And funnily enough, in 1986, because I'd been nagging the crap out of my dad, saying how badly I wanted to buy a car, but we just lived in a pretty normal suburban place. There wasn't a lot of room. The kind of, I guess, appease me for a while. Because my dad had actually Mini Coopers like when they were brand new and he also had Valiance and stuff. It's kind of where my love for both those cars came from. And he, he to, to appease me, said, listen, he goes, let's go buy you a mini engine and gearbox and you can pull it apart, right? So being, you know, my dad being a pretty sensible forward-thinking bloke, he knew that they were compact and that they, the actual engine sat on the gearbox. So you could actually sit the engine and gearbox assembly on the ground. Yep. So you didn't need like an engine stand or anything. You just rolled it in and out. We used to put it like on a trolley. And um, that was actually 1986. He bought me that. We went to a wreckers over from the north side of Brisbane and he paid 50 bucks for a complete mini engine and gearbox out of a mini K. So it was an 1100. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty cool. And I pulled it all down. Like we stripped it down and did all that sort of stuff. And I ended up actually buying a mini, oh geez, only a year or two later. So we built the engine and, and put it in that. That was a, a good fun car. That's for sure. But and um, an interesting mini I seen in, in Western Sydney when I worked there in 1991. I never, I've never heard from it since. I only worked there for a little while. One of the mechanics mid-mounted the seat. He turned it into a single seater, mid-mounted the seat, and put a rotary in it. The thing was in the build, and I've never heard from it. I wouldn't know how to con- uh, But I just thought that like was... Rear-wheel drive? Yeah. Was it rear-wheel drive? He changed, yeah, okay. He, yeah. he put a rotary in it, mid-mounted the seat, and it was all, you know, I was blowing apart mm. stuff. And I thought, wow, that's a... 
And he goes, yeah, I really, I really want a single seater. <laughs> I don't know whether yeah. he was ever aiming for Reggio or whatever. Interesting guy, but yeah, just that's what takes me back to minis. Sorry to butt in. No, not at all. No, I, I but, love minis. So wouldn't, wouldn't, a, single, wouldn't a little single seater streetcar mini something be blowing the genre out a bit? Like it's, it is a more, well, I haven't seen a single seat streetcar actually. No, no. I mean, only if it's in the build. That's how my cars were only ever single. Was I had half the interior doing something stupid. I had to drive to work the next day, so just bolt one seat and off you go. <laughs> Hey, uh, speaking of, 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 of minis with weird engines, have you ever been on YouTube? Next time you're on YouTube, just search Hayabusa Mini. Yeah, I've seen that. Oh, wow, hell, those things. They, it'll bring up just a, a brace of, of motorbike-powered minis, like, as in old-school minis, like 60s. Yeah, I've seen it, definitely. And stuff. And I, like, I, I love watching those videos. And all you can hear is just me. Like this scream, fully screaming motorbike, and then a mini tears past. <laughs> nice things get up and go. Because I mean, you look at the the, the powder weight is huge. Oh, they're monsters! The high Busher engine's an absolute yeah. monster. Oh, wouldn't that just be the best car? The best car to rip around in. Oh shit! Mental blank. What's it fucking called? <laughs> where we do uh, a, where we do the magazine review? Bible studies. Bible studies. That's hallelujah. <laughs> you know this is what I wait for. <laughs> Okay, yes, we're on to Bible studies. And for Bible studies, it's actually horsepower Bible studies. You don't have to be too scared. This episode, we're actually going to have a look at the February 2018 issue of Street Machine Magazine with Quentin Feast's Drag Challenge Conquering LX Tirana on the cover. What are your thoughts, mate? You got any good things you want to discuss about that magazine? No, I haven't got it yet. <laughs> just, <laughs> just fucking with you. <laughs> right. Thank God for that. <laughs> Yeah, right. I was, yeah. <laughs> What'd you think? Um, the cover shot, I suppose, is an interesting one compared to how out there the, the last one was with the Falcon. It reminds me more of a guitar magazine. You'll see the way that some guitar magazines put a guitar on the front cover. Sometimes it'll be Jimmy Page playing his double guitar or Hendrix with his Shadowcaster on fire in his mouth. And then sometimes it'll just be the guitar. It'll, it's more. Yeah, okay. This one is just saying, this is the car to me. Saying, wow, yeah. this is the car. It's, it, it reminded me of an LSX cover, you know, the LSX Street Machines uh, LSX tuning. It's our tuner. Yeah, yeah sure. So it, yeah. it reminds me more of that than it does of the old school. So it's probably an eclectic mix. It's probably what they're getting for. Or I'm just reading way too much into it. And it's just <laughs> pretty intense guitar. Did you read the story on his that drama? Yeah, I did, actually. I did. And I've got to say, and you've made mention of posters. You love street machine posters and that sort of stuff. You're actually a special spot on your Redmond garage wall where you keep the latest issue poster that it goes up there for the month. And that poster of the Trana, it's amazing. And the thing I love about that poster the most, besides the fact of the flame shooting out of the exhaust, is you can see like the rear quarters have got a bit of stone chipping and stuff on it. Like they haven't they haven't gone in there and airbrushed it and made it all look pretty and perfect because this car is a street car. It's proven that by winning Drag Challenge. And for the third time, in, as in three attempts of him doing it, he's won it for the third time. And that's kind of something I, I found really interesting that they left those stone chips on there. I mean, I know that poster-wise, it's probably something you're a bit of a fan of, are you? 
definitely. It's a really, really good poster. The article of the car was very well written as well because I'm not technically great with the stuff. So it was, it was broken down a bit. It wasn't just a full tech article. It's got a laser on the chassis, and I'll let the readers read about it and work it out for themselves. But the way that they do the data logging, the way that they actually take some telemetrics, I guess it is. They didn't use that word, but the way they take some data off the chassis. Yeah. Very smart and really well-written piece. I think Ian Kelly wrote it, didn't he? Yeah, well, Ian too. He's a he's a good guy. He's done a bit of work too with um, Mighty Car Mods. And of course, I've been a street machine guy for a long time and is the editor of the LSX Tuna Mag. He, yeah, he, he knows his stuff, especially with the, the higher tech gear like turbos and injection and stuff that sort of leaves me a bit... Yeah, I, say, I don't know it, so that's why I'm saying the article is good in that way. Yeah, for sure. And the good thing is too is that it really goes into the nitty-gritty and, and of course, you know, Quentin was happy to talk about all aspects of the car and in that story he actually makes mention of a, a bloke called Mark McCoy who works for Motec and who does the tuning on the vehicle. He does a lot of the suspension design and I did a work trip to Melbourne last year and I actually met Mark McCoy at Motec we went for a bit of a tour through Motec and mate you wouldn't meet a nicer guy and he's a really funny kind of bloke you know he'd be a good bloke to have on your on your team because it's not all serious serious like he's a really down to earth fun guy and he obviously knows his shit too when it comes to tuning and comes to cars and the results they're getting out of this combination really impressive so I really enjoyed the feature because I've read about the car in past issues when it's been at Drag Challenge, but to actually get in and learn the nitty-gritty of that was something that really impressed me. Quite, so quite, for sure. quite by the mag. And one thing on that Trama that's excellent is, I don't know if it's coming back, but just one comment I make, tinted windows. I love them. <laughs> Do you? I love See, them. I could actually picture you with like an SLR Tirana right, with the whole thing about having tinted windows and you'd have, like, headrests in the back, but the roll cage would bend around the headrest. Is that That's something you go yep, for as you've well? you've got me. Yeah. Okay, cool. Pick me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, would you have from this issue, would Quentin's car, would that be rig of the month for you or what's uh, probably the go? No, the rig of the month for me definitely is the Cortina and that's either TC or TD Cortina. They're calling it a TD. I think it's Craig's. Oh, Craig Lewis. Yeah. Yep, they're kind of golden-coloured one. Tough. Yeah, I know the car. Seven-second car and the photo of the magazine me is uh, page 102. Have a look at how tough that photo is. Excellent. Oh, mate, if there's one thing, like, I actually am a big fan of that car as well. I, I don't want to be boring to the listeners if I choose that as rig of the month as well, but the photo definitely, the stance, he has just nailed the stance of that car. And it's great to see cars like this come to such a, you know, they're being built to such a higher level than they were before. You're actually seeing elite builds of things like TC and TV Cortinas and even the Centura that's featured in here too, the, the green one owned by Charlie Beatty, that car too. That would have to be probably the best built Centura that's ever been done in Australia because as cars like, I suppose, the two-door stuff is just pricing themselves out of the market for regular Joes, they're sort of opening their minds more and, and looking at body styles, which have always been popular, like Centuras and Cortinas, there's no question, they've always been popular cars. But they're now looking to build elite cars or higher quality cars from these more traditional, you know, um, simpler body styles, which has been a great thing. It, so. I like the way the photo actually pops on page one. I didn't put it up for the poster. The only reason is it was so excellent, the Tirana poster. <laughs> you, have you have to go buy another issue and just reverse the poster out of the second issue. That's probably the best way to cover that off. Uncle Telf, can I have another one? <laughs> 
Look, I, I guess as far as, yeah, look, I'm going to go and say Craig's Cortina was rig of the month for me as well. Um, it's probably more within the realm of what I'd be capable of owning or even maybe driving. But the LX is an amazing car, but my brain, I've just got a P brain. It's just probably a bit too complicated for me. But as far as, I guess, other favourites in that issue, definitely, if you read Telfo's editorial, G-Force Junkie, that HK Monaro, I think it's got an yeah, HT grill. Yeah, this is just to beat all the nitpickers to it. Yeah, it's got an HT grill, but it's an HK. That car was, of course, built in the early. It's probably one of the first, you know, blowing street cars that was around. And the story behind that, I, like, I just thought that car was lost to time. Like, I remember seeing photos of it. Steve Langham actually built it originally. He actually went to build a really tough Monza that was featured in Street Machine also. But that G-Force junkie would have to, it just it just oozes era-correct Street Machine. And mainly because it's it hasn't been touched from that time. It's still the same basic configuration. The guy owns it now. Um, he's... Pretty much, he bought it as a teenager, so and he's owned it ever since, so for pretty much the last 30 years, and he's left that car virtually as is. And one of the things I love about that car the most is the fact that it still runs the odd wheel and tyre combination. It's got kind of, I think, the centerline auto drags on the front, and it's got a big set of kind of almost steel kidney mags. They look a bit like an L-Star rim, but they're not. They're kind of more a bit of a, um, you know, like not a homemade rim, but they're just a, a real basic kidney kind of wheel on the back. And, of course, it still runs a blow and big block and all the rest of it. And, you know, the comment was made when this photo this car was put up was bagging the fact that it had the American flag painted down the side. And I tried, and I must say I tried, it was unsuccessfully because I was obviously talking to someone who couldn't open their mind up past what they were seeing. But you've got to remember back when these cars were done, like this car was built, we didn't have the flood of American cars in Australia like we do now. Like the only real American stuff you get would be the odd private import. You might have, say, you know, the Aussie assembled. You'd have a few, maybe 57s and bits and pieces that were actually assembled here. But they're always just your pretty much the standard, I guess, bread and butter everyday four-door sedans. And left-hand drive wasn't really something you could do unless you were maybe someone who worked at the consulate and had some sort of special, you know, uh, permission to do that. But I tried to explain to this guy that the car is one of those things where having the American flag on it, like the American muscle scene was massive and we kind of aspired to be doing what they were doing in a lot of ways. And as it is, you know, having that car, you know, people, because you couldn't buy a Camaro or a Mustang, probably easier than you can a Monaro nowadays. So back then, I think it was just aspiring to have that connection to the US muscle scene because that's what, that was what was really cool. Plus, Chrysler had a blonde big block shit. Like, if that's not a good enough reason to run an American flag, then I don't know what is. But Yeah, I mean, the, um, the state of the exchange rate and everything, Harley-Davidson's were fucking $35,000, $40,000 back then too. It was a different place, the American-Australian um, economy. Sure. And so, yeah, I've got to tip my hat to Bill Stevenson. He's actually the guy who owns the car now, and he's basically his plan with the Monaro is just, yeah, get it back on the street and use it and enjoy it. And I'm really thankful to Bill that he made the effort to bring it to summon out. So I hope I get a chance one day to, to see it in the flesh, I suppose. Yeah. We'll see how we go. And um, I suppose the only other car or another car that really stands out for me was uh, Sasha's show rod. There's a 60 show rod in the Summonats thing. Yep. Did you see I that at all? It. Yep. It's yeah, that's a great car. I kind of like people who step outside the square and that whole show rod look is getting popular again, I think, too. So um, I like that car as well. So they're probably my, my three picks for it. I've got a couple um, of hidden gems from the magazine from reading every page. If you have a look yeah. on, I'll give you the page. If you have a look on page 85, there's a blown 400 cubic inch EHU, the red one. Oh, yeah. A- yeah, because yeah how here. tough is that thing? Actually, it does look the part. How cool is that BDS scoop? It's like a big, uh, like a big open oh, mark scoop. It's tough, isn't it? 
there's another one, just one more, uh, HQ Tanner or Ute on the Aussie roof on the flags on page 76. It's got the real, you know, the real flames, they call them, and the thing's purple. It, it's a cool card. It's just hidden away. Oh, yeah. Well. Yep. At the start of that lineup of cars there. Yeah. yeah. And you can actually see a glimpse of there's a, that yellow FE. That used to be a, a sports sedan that's been put back on the on the scene. Can you see that just sort of down behind that white LX Tirana with the world's hugest blowing at the bottom? <laughs> yep, I've got it. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. Yep. No, that was cool too. One thing also I noticed in the latest issue is the comeback of the mullet. Like, that just seems to be something that's coming back into play where it's been reviving. Like, the build-up has been there long enough now that guys, their actual mullets are growing long enough. Like, time is enough time has passed that they've got a pretty decent mullet. Like, I don't know. I had a mullet back in the day like we all did, I suppose. But these days, I could probably only grow hair down the back like a skull. I don't <laughs> the, know. The mullet coming yeah. back is just Gen, Gen Y wanting to be us. Maybe that's Have right. you been to a Maybe shop? in that case. Have you been to a barbershop lately? You go in there and they've got shit all over the walls. Like, I don't know, just a heap of eBay stuff that board on there. They're trying to give you a whiskey and it's all funky. I'm like, did you guys in their haircuts? I've never been to a barber oh. before. I hate them. I hate the boutique barbers. Did you get a skinny chai latte from a guy with a top knot? What I did say to him is like, oh, do you want a whiskey? Or do you want a drink? And I said, I have a whiskey if you have one. And he goes, oh, I can't drink at work. I'm going, fuck me, we'll get me too. But it's just, that, that is true. I just go in there and it's got, oh, you guys must have invented haircuts. This is great, this place. Sign Sorry. the time, so I guess it's just what's, no, that's fine. Yeah, that's you can a, rent that, away. That's the mullet. That's just generation Y wanting to be generation. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did you see Alex? Uh, Alex's XY, Silver Thing and Street Machine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The TT, yep. I saw it's it. It's a toughie, mate. The one, one thing that I, I find interesting is something that's very common. I, I kind of like it. They do a lot of it. Is they change the Subaru decal. Have a look. It says 411 instead of the original 351. Oh, 411 uh, TT, of course, being for the engine and twin turbo. Yeah. Yeah, that's a cool little, neat little trick doing that. There's a lot, lot of yeah. that about, actually. I see a lot of people changing badges and bits and pieces like that. I don't know where it kind of becomes become popular, but... Oh, I do. Right. I reckon I could just about nail it in one go. <laughs> Howard Bell's SLR 8000, for me, was the car that I first saw that on. Man, that's another and... encyclopedia disturbing moment. I'm sorry. You got it. You... I'm excited. <laughs> no, well, look, I just love that car. I, I guess as far as Howard Bell goes, he man, he's a cluey bloke. And you got to remember, he put a Keith Black Hemi V8 into a Tirana. Like, he did this years ago. He built that car years ago. But before that, and probably something that a lot of people don't know about Howard Bell and that same Tirana, was, it was actually featured originally in Street Machine in the early mid-'80s. It was white. It was like an SLR, you know, obviously painted up was white with the blackouts. But he actually ran a turbocharged six-cylinder in it. And I think it was a turbocharged 202. But not only that, he actually took the V8 out. It was a factory V8 car. He put in this turbo six-cylinder hold and... And you got to remember, like, this is more than 30 years ago. This is back in a time when turbos weren't really, they were just, you know, you could maybe buy a Starion turbo, which I freaking love Starions. They're awesome cars. You can buy a Starion turbo. They had a Sigma turbo. You know, you a had Sigma turbos. Turbo. Yeah, yeah, they made Sigma turbos around 81, 82. My dad used to have one. It was black and blue with the alloy wheels and stuff. And we're not talking a Peter where it's Sigma. <laughs> I was about to say you got right me. now. No, <laughs> it's not a Peter. It was actually a Sigma turbo. And it was a pretty quick car. Um, um, and he drove it pretty hard as well. So turbos in our scene, in the hot car scene, they weren't a big popular item. And the fact that, you know, Howard Bell, he's a bit of an innovator, no question. And, you know, I think he probably would have copped some flack for removing a V8 and putting a Turbo 6 in his Tirana. But I tell you what, any of the knockers just copped it back in the nuts hard when he put a Keith Black in it as well. I sent him, so in, that, I sent him an email. I managed to annoy him. Oh, no, no, I managed to find his email address and I wrote, this is when it came out, SLR 8000 is absolutely off the hook. And he writes back a very simple email. All he wrote back was, nothing exceeds like excess. 
Yes. Thought that's spot on. Well, that's so true. Yeah. But that just but gives yeah. you an insight into what he's like. He's yeah, just he's, back to he's the, obviously the decal. Yeah, you know, the decal and the Subaru and the stuff like that. One thing that I do like, and then streetcars I always have, is the decals, the badges, the stickers. I, I love the, the group A on the glove box of the. I like all the decals that have gone, all the HDTs, the way they do it. The phase three yeah. with the XYGT, or the GTHO on the glove box, the smoking, the bandit bird. I'm visually a sucker for all of that side of, that side of it as well. I do like. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm a sucker. I understand what you uh, mean. Yeah. And that's, but that's the thing. That's what, when you see a cargo pass, that's what kind of draws your attention to it. Like even sort of the latest HSVs and cars like that, you see, you know, they had that those little features and trims that stands them out from what a normal, say, a normal VF Commodore. And like, oh, I'd love, like, I'd love a VF Commodore Ute with that Holden by design, the canopy conversion, which kind of turns them into a panel van. Yep. I think they would make a tough car with all that HSV accents. But um, Shout out to our mate Dave yeah. Carey. <laughs> well, yeah, see what he can do, see what he can build. But he's he's got one and he loves the thing. But his is a V Y or V Z, I think. Um, Check out that article he wrote. I'll find a link to it about driving that thing out west, out uh, Northern Territory. has a great little article. Sorry, yeah, back to it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And look, in, in the latest issue, Dave did a great story on Commodores, like door-to-door, that he started doing. Yeah, it's very good. Over the next few episodes, yeah, and that really goes with a lot of detail. And, especially as we've talked about last time or the time before, with that era of Commodore, like VH, VK, VL, and as much as they've always been popular, same as XDXE Falcons, they're now becoming, I think, in my personal opinion, like they're the hot ticket item. They are becoming really popular. And I can't wait to see you do your VK with all the Group C flares. You've got to get on yeah, to that. Coming. I'm going to hold you to that. But as, as far as also to what I enjoyed in this issue was the write-up on Eddie Thomas, who passed away last year at 99 years old. Now, Eddie Thomas, of course, Eddie Thomas shop, which later became Speco Thomas, which of course then was in Speco, which is still around now. Mate, this guy is just a legend and, and a real gentleman of the scene. And look, I've always enjoyed Dave Cook as a writer and photographer. I've always loved his work. You know, my old days, Valiant Hardtop has got Eddie Thomas Speed Shop on the side. And then I put that on back in 2002 because growing up, I used to buy, like in the 80s, I'd buy all the old Hot Rod magazines from the 60s from the local book exchange, if you remember what the hell one of those I'm places sure I do. was. I don't think they exist anymore. They used to sell those like 60s Australian Hot Rodding Review and Australian Hot Rod. I could buy those for like 20 to 50 cents a copy. So when I had some money together, I'd always go and buy a pile of them and I've still got most of them today. And um, Eddie Thomas was just such a, you know, such a force to be reckoned with then and, and obviously not just a gentleman but also a very focused uh, individual and successful guy too with what he did and what he achieved. He was achieving stuff and kind of inventive with stuff which now is commonplace. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I think Dave Cook, who obviously he's very, very knowledgeable, especially with the drag racing scene and the history of the drag racing scene. And it's just unfortunate that it takes someone passing away to, to um, I guess, spawn an back like like, yeah. yeah, I think Eddie it really did him proud and, and I, I really enjoyed that. I read that a few times. So, that it's good, but speaking of drag racing, sorry, just on that, it was really good to see Peter Gratz is back. He's got a um, the Supertage Outlaws. Yeah, I read that Invictus picture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and Arby's, yeah, Urban Warfare. And, oh, sorry, um, Arby's. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was actually at Willowbank many years ago when he was racing his 57. He had the Valvoline 57, I think, in Top Door Slammer, and he tire shook the rear end out of it. And literally, the diff in back wheels, like, he, I think he was even on a buy run. I think something happened to the other car on the line and Grazzi lined up, he'd done the burnout and all the rest of it. So he had basically a solo pass and he just gave, it was at the Winter Nationals, mate, he just gave it the full bickies. 
and it tire shook really bad. And yeah, I remember literally the diff and back tires completely tearing out of the back <laughs> of the car and the 57 just sitting there flat on its bum. Well bad. You know, but yeah. And you know, of course, then Grassy went on with he had that Dodge Daytona. The um do you remember that car? No, I don't. The Valvoline, oh mate. Top door slam, a Valvoline oh, Dodge yeah. Daytona. I've got it, yeah. Yep. Yep. Massive nose on nose cone, big wing on the back, and that was another great car. But he obviously was out of the scene for a long time, but he went back to, I guess, to his streetcar routes, and he had a Hemi-powered uh, Camaro I used to see around a bit, of, like at Harry's Dine and all the Brisbane hotspots. But funnily enough, recently some pictures, like a research of Peter Gratz in one of his early cars. It was a Holden panel van. Now, I'm talking, this must be probably early to mid-'80s. I'll have to actually get onto Peter and have a chat to him about it. And me being a panel van fan, it's a Holden panel van. It's like a yellow colour, kind of like a chrome yellow, but it's got like a, you used to be able to buy back then, you can actually buy a front-end kit you know how like you can buy Trans Am fronts and yep. Monza fronts for you know HQs and all that back in the day? It actually had a Commodore front, so it's like it uses a VB or VC Commodore headlights and grill, oh, wow. whatever you choose. And they just used to use a little spacer piece in between the headlights and grill to compensate for the wider front. But his has got this front, but not only that, it's got an injected 454 in it, like a mechanically injected 454 in this HQ panel van streetcar. And, you know, he's there, he's wrenching on it, he's got his long hair and all the rest <laughs> of it. It's just a classic. So he's definitely a guy with a a great car history and um, someone I'd, I'd love to actually do a snapshot on, so I should probably get on to him one day about that. My uh, reader's ride is obviously a section that I love. There's just too many to choose from, but I'm going to actually choose Dale Ryan's HQ GDS two-door for the simple reason it's got a cast iron 350 in it. Oh, okay. Think yeah. just to fuck the normal LS crowd, do you yeah. think? I've got uh, one more review to do one of the articles. Sure. Stage right. So this is from my old mate, Bob Codmel. I had a look. Uh, I enjoyed Bob's piece. It's actually the first one in a long time where he hasn't dragged out the Alma Rosso speed calculator or Sonny Leonard's 57 Chev daily driver. I thought his piece on supercar done really, really well. <laughs> that was excellent. He managed not to mention Newcastle's nail-biting finish to the season, the most interesting and tight finish to a supercar in nearly ever. It was really, really great. But he didn't mention the, the finish of the championship. In my book, Bob lost his LA privileges when he sold his ute. Even old Brian Plankman, the old man, still got his ute. The one thing I think they should do is state Plankman. Plankman. <laughs> I'm just thinking. Sorry, just thinking of Plankman with the twin tyres on the back and the extractors he made out of steel water pipes. That's, that's my old man. They definitely need to move stage right to the back of the poster so I can rip the fucking thing out. <laughs> Tell us what you really think. <laughs> okay. Well, probably. Now's a good time to move on from that. And you know one thing that we have to talk about, especially just I guess kicking back to 986 a little bit, is, mate, what's your vice versa? What's your fiction fraction? What's something you do from 986? What would you take back and what would you bring forward? Um, right, I don't know. Uh, first thing, probably, I'd grab myself a HDT Holden, uh, the Group AVL. I think it's the pick of the HDTs as well. It's the 308. Oh, yeah. Are they like the red ones? Yeah. Blue is red? Yeah, they, yeah, were, okay. they were all red. Yeah. They were carbureted 304, 308. All of them are five speeds. All of them are air conditioned. They're all disc brake. Uh, the thing with me, the later model car that I could do would be the best. So it's unleaded. It's got a tape player standard. Oh, wow. High yeah, tape. But what I do, I'd give that. What's the gentleman that built Terminator's name again, sorry? Mick Curran. Mick Curran. That group A that I'm taking back, it's going to his place before yeah. it gets in the DeLorean. I'm getting it. I'm sending it to him <laughs> first. It's not, it's not coming back to go and sit at the car show and, and, and be also correct. But also the other thing that I want to bring back is a yuppie. Remember the yuppies? Yeah, yeah, I know. I used to I used to live near Paddington in Brisbane, so that place was where I think the yuppie culture was created. 
We, well, we, we, I live in a small town, so we only had one yuppie, and I probably thought it was a wanker then. But now when I place him against the millennial or the metro, I think, well, he probably had cool shoes. And, he, hey, he had a job, you know, and he, had, he actually had a career that he was working at fairly hard. Yeah. He, Look, you know what? You were probably just jealous because he was pulling all the chicks. He, had a he was probably well-dressed and clean-cut, and that was probably all it was. You had a mullet, and he was probably just... Smooth operator. He had a Trans Am. The Kimbrook Taylor, you know I'm talking Did about he? you. Yeah, he had a Trans Am. And he also had a, is it the AP5 push-button auto Valium? Yeah, 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 push-button on the dash. Uh, That's right. a cricket coach. I jumped into it. There's no fucking gear shifter in the thing. Fuck is yeah. <laughs> you imagine being at the drag zone, punching one of those cars through the gears. Like, a lot of the super stock stuff in America that ran autos, like the tour flight for the, you know, like the um, SA class, like stock automatic and, of course, your A, B or C. But in the automatic style of things, they used to run those to save weight. And you imagine ripping down a drag strip, just smashing the buttons on the dash to change gears. What about Drew Scott? Is that boy got his name correct? Or is it Mark Scott, the guy with the LH and the HR Tirana from Drag, uh, HR Holden from Drag Challenge? What's his name? Mark Scott or Drew Mark? I have no idea. He's got that HR. It's got a wild engine and he's got a very fast truck on one of the top cars at Drag Challenge, and there's a video of him drag... Hang on, sorry. Are we talking about a Toronto or an HR here? He's got both, but I'm talking about his... Oh, yeah, he and his missus. Yeah, sorry. What? Yeah, Mark Drew. Mark Drew. Have you seen the video of him column shifting that thing in a 10-second pass? No, I haven't. Is it on YouTube? Yeah, it's brilliant. You have to have a look at it. But sorry. Yeah, I'll definitely yeah, check it out. Talk about modulation and gear shifting. The last thing that I'd bring back from 1986 is some PK chewy gum. You can still get it, but one thing that the millennials have definitely fucked for me is their chewy gum. They've gotten rid of the case harding. Have you seen that extra? It looks like a little strip of floor mat. Yeah, the great taste really lasts, apparently. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's got no case hardening. It's got no crunch. Floor mat. It's like a gay time which just becomes a paddle pop. There's nothing on the outside of it. A fucking ice bowl uh. becomes a milk arrowroot or some shit. It's just shit. <laughs> you bring back crunchy chewing gum. Like, God, that's where the millennials went wrong. They bought extra in with no case hardening. Look, I think as far as vice versa goes to me, it's pretty much a quick and easy deal, as in no questions. For me, I'd buy Terminator and bring it back and leave it as is and shove it in the face of all the people who hate plastic cars being wrecked. I would drive and enjoy that car as long as I could. It was for sale, so that is an option to me. I think I can definitely say I'd do that. But funnily enough, one of my favourite things I'd love to bring back from 86, I'd actually love to bring back a VL Calais station wagon, but a V8 one. Yeah. I, I imagine they must be a really rare car. Like even a VL Calais wagon on its on its own would be a rare car in six-cylinder form, but a V8 one, I'd bring one of those back, probably either in white or the dark blue with silver. And um, I think for something like that, if I had that, I'd just do like a nice grumpy kind of a 304 or even a 355 stroker, just a carby thing, of course, and maybe run you know eight-inch and five-inch pursuit rims just to give it a little bit of stance and use that as a bit of a daily. I, I love those cars. And they would be, you're a bit of a Commodore man, especially over me, but they wouldn't be that common, would they? No, they're a very good thing. A, a Commodore, a Bolina, or a Calais. I mean, mate, Hoggy's building a, uh, a VL Calais should be ready in 2086. Sedan or wagon? Sedan, actually. <laughs> should be ready in 2086. <laughs> yeah, well, I definitely want a wagon. And it's funny, I always remember, you know, sort of through the 80s and more so the early to mid 90s, as a teen and young 20 something, around the area I grew up, there was actually a guy who had a maroon and silver V8. The El Calais wagon. And this car, I just used to, used to drive past and think, man, that thing's V8. And I realized it was a Calais. And I always used to think that it would, would have been a rare thing then. And um, it was beautiful. He'd had it since brand new. It was an immaculate car. And the thing was, though, it was one of these cars that got passed on to his son. And the son just treated it like absolute shit. 
you know, and it went from being a really mint cover. So I remember even saying one day, mate, you know, if you want to sell this car, let me know. Like I'd, I'd probably be keen to buy it because I was just that impressed by right. it. And the fact of the specification was quite a rare thing. But of course, within a few weeks, the sun, you know, the plastic was starting to come off and he dinged it and the thing was filthy and he used to cane the absolute shit out of it. Because back then in Queensland, you could actually have a V8 on your P plates. Right. You could drive a 454-powered HQ, no one cared, but it's, I guess, times have changed. But he kind of destroyed this thing, and, you know, you'd see it drive past, and you know how they had, like, the half pop-up headlights on the eyelids? One would be up and one would be down. It was such a shame, but I'd probably go back, and I'd definitely bring back a VL Calais V8 wagon and the Terminator. But if I could go back to 986, this is also a pretty easy deal for me. I'd go back to myself as a 13-year-old, and I'd tell myself to stop being such a fuck. I'd... I'd tell myself to um, get my shit together, treat my parents better. I'd probably slap myself around a bit and not just for pleasure, actually. I'd probably just <laughs> slap myself around and just, just shake some sense into myself because, you know, that's something I, I, I guess I kind of look back on and cringe in a lot of ways. So I'll do that. But in saying that, the job I was doing, earning $4 an hour mowing lawns at the Gap Squash Centre, I'd be telling myself, save that money and put it into Google or <laughs> Apple. Just remember those two words, Google and Apple. Like Apple was already around. They were founded in the 70s, like start buying shares in Google and Apple. And when Google came to came around, I think it was late 80s, I'd be just be drumming that into myself. So as I grew up, I'd know what to do, but I'd know where to put all that hard-earned money instead of blowing it on cans of spray paint to paint my BMX bike. So Could I? Yeah. Could I sneak one in? Can I take the old man Brian Plankton from 86? And sneak one in and, and tell us another one as well. <laughs> Take him from 1986 and place him straight in the middle of Street Machine Magazine's 2018 office. Yeah. So here's your new writer. The guy's name is Brian Payton. Please be gentle. <laughs> you reckon that'd work? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I look. I think he'd get on just fine because the guys and you know guys and girls at Street Machine they've all got great senses of humor. They're all good people, and I think they'd probably enjoy a bit of Plankman ingenuity. It'd be so deadpan. Some of the stuff that he'd come up with, just looking back at what he used to come up with. Remember, a mate of mine, Jim, Jim Morris, he mentioned to me the other day, we were just talking about Plankman for some reason. I went to school with Jim. He's a good guy. He's actually building an XWGS at the moment. And this car is like going to be mint. He's owned the car forever, like 20 plus years. He's just a, like in school, all he spoke about was XWs, XYs, XBs, etc. This car is having a full rest at the moment. But he said to me, he goes, I love Brian Plankman. And he said it, this is the thing. He said to me, so deadpan and serious. He goes, I love Brian Prankman. He goes, geez, I got the shits when he put a 186 in an XW Howie. <laughs> like he's saying, he said it to me as if it had really happened. And oh, I made up this myself. So Prankman <laughs> has left a great impression on a lot of us over the years. That's the first thing I used to read in the magazine, actually, the very first thing is for introduction to uh, satire as well. Yeah, I guess so. And it, I see there's that great photo of Rocky wearing a Plankman shirt. Maybe that's what they need to do is re-release a few Plankman T-shirts for all us old people who remember what it's all about. Can't we just get one with like Von Dutch on the front, tap out on the back and all this stuff I don't fight. I don't fight. I don't pinch on. Von Dutch tap on. Look, half the chicks wearing Von Dutch shirts probably have absolutely no idea what it's all about, but I guess it's another sign of the time. Hey, um, mate, have you got any domestic bliss happening at the moment? Got any projects on the go? Yeah, I have actually. I need a hand with one. I need your hand. I really like 
the, your blue panel then that's in your backyard. Blue Crush, is it Blue Jades? Blue Crush. Blue Crush. Yeah. Really yeah. like the idea of, I'm not going to say garden art because, again, you'll just punch me clean in the face. But I really like, I really <laughs> like that idea of just having one of your old cars for a bit of pleasure. And I recently went and picked up my old twin cab V8 Hilux. It's now a roller. It's had no engine in yeah. four years and it's been sitting at a friend's farm. So I bought it home or I just need a bit of advice with it. It probably will someday get an engine again, but it's starting to get some real patina. Don't punch me in the face. Some real patina all over it. And I just want to know, can I clear coat that thing? What can I do to save the paint as it is? I don't want to paint it. Okay, I was going to get this out of my system. Rat rod, patina, barn find. Those three words are illegal to say. Yeah, pop up. You know, pop up shop, food van, barista, <laughs> top knot, anything like that. It's illegal to say those on this podcast. Now, but to actually answer your question, the trick to do, if you want to preserve the weathering of your paint, which is how I say patina, probably the trick is maybe to coat it in like it. You can buy like a flat clear. It's if you clear 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 coat it normally with glossy clear, it'll make it look glossy. It'll just look weird. So I'd probably just buy yourself a flat clear and paint it in that if you want to. Or you know what? Just don't worry about preserving it. The whole point of it is just to keep doing its thing. It might, be, it might end up getting another engine. It's all complete. It's a very fun car. I just went and left it back. It may get another engine, so I don't want it to get super daggy. Yeah. That's what frustrated the absolute crap out of me. The first car that I got with really good paint, my blue VK, the one that's sort of been speeded up, but it was the first car, and it was like 2014. All the years that I had rusted, rooted paint jobs, it was what it is, and then all of a sudden there's a genre that it comes out as trendy. I'm like, God damn it, why am I so far behind the curve? <laughs> Look, I think the thing is, Sue, is the beauty of if it's going to be pure garden art, just let it do its thing in its own time. And that's the beauty with Blue Crush, like which is my Blue Valiant panel van, which is an absolute rotten piece of junk, but I just cannot bear to send it to the scrappers. It's in a really bad way. And people say, oh, you should fix it. But if they actually saw it with their own two eyes instead of just assuming that I don't know what I'm doing, they'd see that it's not fixable. Unless you'd probably have to cut the roof off and put it onto a ute, that'd be the best thing. But anyway, beside the point, like the other day I'm playing with a dog in the backyard and I pegged the tennis ball and the tennis ball actually hit one of the bubble windows and half fell into the car and I'm just like, shit. But you know what? It's just how it goes. I'll just let it do its thing. And once I get a few you know, shrubs planted around it and a bit of a garden, it'll really look the part. And the best part about that car, never in my entire life has a car provided me so much enjoyment that requires absolutely no time or money or effort on my part for that. And that's probably the beauty of it too. So, I mean, I know you've got a Commodore there that's pretty rough. Would you consider doing something with that, like the VK? <laughs> it's pretty funny how I come across that VK. I was talking to some friends of some neighbours of my nephew and some. he's got some nice cars. He's got that Tirana with the Hutch hatch on it and he's got a HZ. We get talking and he's yeah. like, oh, Redmond, do you want a, a V8 Holden VK diff? I'm like, yeah, yeah they're, they're worth a, a few dollars. Sort of thing. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Salisbury, yeah, obviously. Salisbury. Yeah, just yeah. the Salisbury diff. Ten yeah. this break, whatever. So, yeah, yeah right. we'll take that the whole VK and you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the afternoon of pumping the tyres up. Actually, it rolled really great. We end up getting out of there pretty neatly. But something that you and I spoke about, which I think is humorous, because I am new to social media and I've got a whole thing to do on that. We won't do it now. But when I posted the photo of that wreck, this VK wreck, it's been on fire. It's, had, it's still got an engine. When I posted it, it got, let's say, for instance, it got 50 likes. I'm new to this, so please be jealous. Yeah. So I got 50 likes. Yeah. The very next one I put up was a photo of my VK of Lio 5. It got 17 likes. So I'm thinking, yeah. and somebody said that your, your, your blue VK's got the wrong wheels on it. 
And I'm like, I put up a wreck. So, but the Simmons, the Simmons, what else do you put in a VK? Like, for that that style you go. I just think it's funny that you put yeah. a wreck car up there and everybody's down with That's who we are. They're like, yeah, that's cool. You put your car up that you finish. It's like, yeah, I'm not too sure about, you know, the, too sure about the seats. <laughs> it's just a funny observation. You know on that. If it was an HQ and you put a, a photo up an HQ, people wouldn't be down with it. It'd all be about, oh, they've wrecked a classic. What a waste. You know, it's he, he should sell it if he doesn't want it and blah, 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 blah. Then you get people coming back saying, what's well, his car? He can do whatever he wants with it. And just all the garbage that just does the full circle all the time. That was great. And it's funny. Great that- when I bought that VK home on a car trailer, the wife walks out and the dead set the look in her face. I may as well have bought home the barmaid. She was not happy about, <laughs> not happy about me bringing home the <laughs> yes. at all. Not happy. Where's that going? In the bedroom. Yeah, okay. I yeah. said that. It's got some good parts on it. I lied. I said, I'll have it done by next weekend. I lied. But, yeah. No, nah, Deb is just, just put a tarp over it. She'll be right, mate. So we're still that'll talking be, about the go. car? <laughs> oh, I walked into that one. Hey, um, speaking of, like, car bashing and just talking about, I guess, my side of domestic bliss with EH, in the last probably week, there's been so much bashing as traditional Australian custom cars on Facebook. Just, oh, it just does my head in, but... Specifically, Val Neal's EH sedan. This is a guy who's well into his 80s now. He does a lot of stainless trim. He's a really knowledgeable bloke, really nice guy. He built back in 1968. He had an EH Premier from New, which got front and rear, like sort of nose tail damage. And so he built it as a custom. He used HK Premier grill, which he cut down and headlights. It's got the twin headlights in it. And the rear end treatment uses VE Valiant sedan tail lights with the chrome trim that goes across. And it's a really tastefully done car. Oh, and it's been exactly the same for 50 years. The paint, the look, everything about it just runs a set of like reverse rims with the hubcaps, yep. you know, yeah, trim yeah. rings. Anyway, someone posts a photo of this car and the uneducated just get out there and just bash crap out of it. What a waste for Premier, what a waste of this, what a waste of that. And I, I look at that car and, okay, I've known about the car since I can re- ever remember, but it's obviously done. It's not obviously a new build. You can just tell by the car that it's not a fresh build and people just have to get on and slag it. And the thing is that, and plus there was a panel van, EH panel van called Persian Sands, which was big in the 80s. That resurfaced recently for sale and it copped the same thing. Oh, the frontal treatments, it's got like an HQ statesman grills and things in it. And it's amazing just the, the, the absolute slaughter these cars have copped. And like to me, I said, oh, wow, that's fantastic. Persian Sands is back. People need to remember that these cars, they weren't customised yesterday. They were customised when they were worth absolutely nothing. And this is the thing, like we've lost more, okay, I use the term with inverted commas, classic cars. We've lost more classic cars through natural attrition, demolition derbies, et cetera, like we talk about, than we ever have through customising. And yeah. it's just a real shame that the scene now, the scene of street machining, like almost becoming a car restoration scene. And that's kind of a sign of the times, but you didn't see this happen with hot rodding. As much as in the 70s, they kind of went back to maybe leaving a bit more of the jewellery on and a few other bits and pieces like stock-bodied stuff. It's like they've they've had their stock-bodied years of hot rodding. Then they've gone, oh, we aren't restorers, we're hot rodders. They've like punched themselves in the face yeah. and they've gone, fuck this, back, let's get back yeah. to what we're all about. And they're chopping and channeling. I really hope that happens with the street machine scene. Like even the other day on, on the street machine Facebook page, there's an article on a LJ Tirana with a blown and injected whatever hanging through the bonnet doing a massive skid. Guys going, oh, what a waste of a rare body style. It's a fucking street uh, machine page. It's a, The car is a street machine. Point, yeah. If you don't like modified cars, what are you doing on a page that's about modified cars? Like, is there a connection I'm missing here? Like, you don't get on a modified car page and bag a modified car. It kind of defeats the purpose of it. 
The two-door Tirana with a V8 engine in it isn't at the core of what street machining's all about. And has been for 30 years. What is? Like, I just don't understand it. So, anyway, that's Simon's rant for today. It's easy for me to go off a rant, so I'll I'll pull my skirt down and um, calm down a bit. But it, it just, I just find it really difficult to understand that. You know, I don't, I don't see. So, I think we're kind of all in this together, you know, it's without getting too earthly with it or whatever. It's as long as we're all industry cars, at least we're not, we, we should, we sort of should be one tribe. And that, that's me you know, editorializing on some of the stuff I do as Redmond with the whole, with the Fords and bits and pieces. That's, that's carried on straight from Brian Plankman's holding, you know, that's a direct line. He's there, but we are kind of all in together. So as long as someone's doing something to a car, it's a street machine of, Really like that article in the back of one of the street machines about six or seven months ago, and it was just a guy, a husband and wife team, sending their Gemini. It's a TE Gemini. It's in Reader's right. It's got a little yeah. set of fat tyres. And the article, just a hundred words it was. Beautiful. Oh, we bought this car. We knew nothing. It was really fun. We bought manuals on how to do it. We painted ourselves, and we loved going to car shows. And I'm going, boom. Them Good guys got a 10K yeah. Gemini. I would go and, and, you know, I talk to everyone. I'm like, don't shut the fuck up. It's my problem. I would go to a car show, and I'd love to yarn to them about the... It's not the car that makes you the street machine, or it's you that makes the street machine. It's in a 2007 model V6 S Commodore Lull with a set of fat Kmart tyres. It doesn't matter. If you're out having fun in it, it is a street machine, and you are part of it. And so is the guy with the Elite Build X-Boss, you know. He's part of us as well. Yeah. So we're kind of, you know, yeah. sorry, that's my rave. Yeah, yeah. But we both just started that. We get very passionate about this is what with cars, Blue yeah. Velvet with the podcast, with writing and we are very passionate about cars and we're not apologizing for it. <laughs> no, definitely not. But, you know, like, it's just funny. Like, back in the 70s and the 80s, the last thing you wanted your car to look like, like your hot car, whether it be a Tirana or a Charger, was something that your grandfather drove. <laughs> and nowadays, it's gone full circle. That's the first thing people do. Oh, white walls, Venetians, blah, oh, blah, well blah, done. which is okay. It's, well done, actually. It's great for the street sleeper look, but pull up. Yeah, and I, I don't mind that look. I mean, Christ, one of my hard tops looks like that, really, when I talk about it. But it's the sort Serbian of funny that I realise, because the thing's as noisy as hell, if a police officer pulls up to me, no white walls and hubcaps is going to save me from getting pulled over because I'm going to be rattling their windows <laughs> out. Okay, Red, I guess to wrap up this episode, I just want to have a quick sort of update on my domestic bliss stuff that's going on here. Now, we got uh, the EH back from the panel shop. Uh, well, as I mentioned in episode one, we had to get the floor pan pulled just to get the thing square again after my better half, she was involved in a pretty bad crash a number of years ago. And that's actually come back really good. It, it went a lot smoother than I thought it was going to go. And it's kind of elevated the car now from being, I guess, a smash repair. It's just a restoration project now. Like now that the impact damage stuff is all sorted, it's a real big relief. It feels like we've really got over a massive hump with that. And um, yeah, I've got to thank Parker's Body Shop up at Clontarf in Brisbane. Colin and his team there did a great job. And what I really like too, they're a family business that's been around for a long time. And the best part, mate, they're actually interested in working on an old car. Like that was probably the hardest thing was trying to find people who were interested in just doing work on an old car that wasn't to do with it being built to a high show standard. We just want to get the car back on the road, you know, just as an everyday kind of driver. And it was really great to work with Parkers. So that's kind of where we're at with that. As far as anything else with my own projects go, haven't really managed to do a lot. It's a bit hard to do when you kind of just work, sleep, work, sleep all the time. But um, I'll get some more photos up of it currently. About the only other thing I think we did there was we've just, um, I mentioned last in episode one about the HR disc brake front end. Yeah, remember? Definitely. I was yep. talking about that. Uh, we're kind of making one good one out of two. So I've put all the steering and stuff from one onto the other and the stub axles and disc brake assemblies. And um, funnily enough, 
the new front subframe we've got was set up for a Chev. So um, nice. <laughs> because it, well. I'm kind of being the, the wife in this relationship <laughs> with my missus because I'm like, she's like, yeah, cool, let's put a 350. And I'm like, no, 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 let's just put yeah, a six-cylinder back in it. Yeah, and she's six. like, oh, for God's sakes. So I've actually cut the mounts off. I've cut the shed mounts off and I'll be putting red motor mounts back on it. It's probably going to, you know, I'm going to end up with some sort of dead animal head in the bed. But we'll it's see your comments on panel shop and stuff, working with a good panel shop, it is very important to develop them uh, relationships with your vendors. Sometimes it can feel like a quote becomes an argument with an old car. Like you say, some people don't want to work on it. Yeah. And it can, yep. it can yep. feel that way. But when you do get someone, basically you do stick to them and it does work out, they will do your stuff and they get it. They're not trying to say, well, mate, we think That's you're going right. the wrong colour. They're just like, okay, we get it. Yes, we get it. Yeah, that's right. And look, Parker's um, Body Shop, they've done like, when we went in and first spoke to them, like, I just didn't know them from Bar of Soap. They just a mate of mine recommended them to me because I was kind of coming to a loose end with who we could use. And when we were there, they had an FJ Ute there, they had an XR Falcon. Amongst all their normal work they do, they were happy to do a bit of old school stuff and they knew exactly what the goal yeah, was. Yeah, kind of <laughs> You know, it's, like I said, it's a, it's a real relief to know that the car's square now and I can just get on and build it like a normal project. So, mate, hey, listen, that pretty much wraps us up for this episode. So in episode four, do you want to choose a year from the 90s that I can start researching for like five minutes before we do the podcast? What do you... Kind of keen to look at for not probably, being in the probably 1991 because I had a 1991 Commodore V8 Ute. All right, sweet. 1991 it is. So we'll be looking at that for episode four of the Fong Slappers. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. As always, should you have any any comments? Now, they can be positive or negative, whatever you might Don't want to say. Don't send the negative ones. Improve the podcast for you. I'll find <laughs> you. <laughs> I will break you. <laughs> Look, we can be found on uh, Instagram at The Thong Slappers. Facebook, not so much. We do have a Facebook page. It's The Thong Slappers, funnily enough. But Instagram is probably the better one to follow us and message us on. Or alternatively, if you don't do the social media thing, you can email us at thongslappers, one word, at optusnet.com.au. So as always, thank you to our TTS crew of helpers and people who put up with us, uh, namely Lucy and Deb. Jackie and Nick and Macker and Harry and Red. Mate, I look forward to speaking to you about 991 in episode Sounds four. good, buddy. I'd just like to say thank you, too, to all our adult supervisors giving us a hand. Uh, Simon and Redmo are the song slappers. Fuck. TTS, the song slappers. Simon and Redmo. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go. One, two, three. Go, go, Redmo. <laughs> BTS, <laughs> Simon and Redmail are the thong slappers. <laughs> did it again. Oh, this is so horrible. Have a drink. Have a drink. I'm sober. That's why. Fuck this sober. It's just fucking ridiculous. I don't know how fucking the world's insane. One, two, three. BTS, Simon and Redmond are the thong slappers. Australia's first and only dedicated streetcar podcast. Episode one, two, and three are out now, and episode four is coming out. You can find us the podcast on Stitcher and iTunes. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you. I look forward to speaking to you for episode four. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs>